0: Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics, including health, fitness, and training strategies, to name a few. If you enjoy the show and wish to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon or wish to make a one-time donation, please visit the show PayPal page at paypal.com. .me forward slash pod. Links to both of those can be found in the show notes. Also, consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and on our video version of the show hosted on YouTube. For updates and notifications, please visit my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. If you wish to sponsor the show or have any other questions or feedback, please reach out to me at podcast at gmail.com. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of HPO uh, Podcast. This episode has been one I've been kind of anticipating for a bit here, and I'm excited about it. Uh, I've got uh, Pete Kostelnik coming on the show here today, and he is the man when it comes to multi-day long haul, whether it be supported or unsupported efforts. He's done uh, some huge projects. Uh, He's the record holder for the cross country or transcontinental run where you run from San Francisco to New York. It's a slightly over 3,000 mile route or 5,000 kilometer route. And he averaged just over 72 miles a day for that effort, setting the record. And, uh, he's going to share some of his stories about that. Some of the stuff that was, uh, uh, insightful for that, as I'm kind of planning on kind of following his footsteps in, in, uh, in September. And I actually, when I think of Pete, I also think of another big project that he did right after the transcontinental thing that may have been even more like otherworldly, which was a self-supported run from Alaska down to the Florida Keys. So he essentially picked what I had imagined is the longest possible route From going from one part of the country to another part of the country. He pushed a stroller and Pete, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you averaged over 50 miles a day for that project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. About yeah. 55 or so.
0: It's mind-boggling. You know, one thing I've been getting interested in the last couple of months as I kind of prepare for my own uh, cross country project is just kind of looking into some of these guys and gals who've done these big uh, multi-day doesn't give it justice. It's like (laughs) multi-week (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I was talking to, uh, you probably know Ray Zahab, uh, he did the Sahara mm-hmm. round, they ran about 100 kilometers a day through that, through that effort. And some of your projects, as well as these others, it's just, it's just really interesting to kind of, kind of hear the stories behind it, what went into kind of actually getting it off the ground in the first place, because it's not something you just show up for, it's like, the ultra the, the running community, you can kind of just show up for races unprepared sometimes, and it's probably going to be a little more painful than if you're prepared, but uh, with something like a cross country run, or certainly one where you're self supporting yourself, you kind of have to have your uh, T's crossed and I's dotted, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I, I I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, yeah, it's it's such a, I mean, it's such an enigma. I mean, it's it's just so. I mean, I can't really think of anything else like that a human would undertake that is growing in such popularity. Like a transcontinental, you know, whether it's a walk, a run, a even cycling, like it's just such a bizarre um, <laughs> endeavor on so many on so many levels, just with what goes into it. So yeah, it's it's always a lot of fun to to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one thing I'm still juggling around in my head, and I'll probably continue to do this all the way up until the start, and then maybe even adapt it as it goes along is like a strategy for what you want to do on any one given day. Because for myself, who's been essentially a single day ultra marathon athlete to date, this is just something so much different than what I normally kind of build myself up to mentally and physically, where the way I describe, say, like a hundred mile race, is I'm putting myself in a position where in order to perform, I'm going to wreck myself with the anticipation. I don't have to move the next few days if I don't want to. Whereas for something like a cross country run or trans, transcontinental run you're running you know for you anyway 72 plus miles per day and then uh but you're doing it with a with the mindset that not only do you have to get up and do it the next day again but then the day after that the day after that day after that how does that kind of frame your strategy or do you even have a strategy or are you just kind of listening to your body the whole time and and just kind of responding to what it gives you
1: yeah you know it's it's really scary because like you know i i would get done for the day um and and it was funny, especially like once I was used to the way I felt at the end of the day, like so, like you know, getting done with seventy, you know, two miles or however far it is, and then sitting down in an RV for dinner, and then getting up, uh, you know, half an hour later, and you can barely walk, like you're just, you're just like I like you know, I'll try to do it tomorrow, but I don't know if it's gonna happen or not, like, and it's just it's such a weird feeling because you, you're just like I couldn't. I mean, you, you feel basically the way you feel after, um, or at least for me, like after doing a hundred mile race, where you're just like, well, I'm not going back out there to like do more miles. So like, I'm, I'm just going to put my feet up for a number of days, but you got to go back out in like eight hours to do it again. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was just a w- really weird. It was like be- trying to become comfortable with that feeling every day. And it, I think it took me, you know, two to three weeks of knowing that how you feel to start the next day. Is it going to be how you feel two miles down the road um, once your legs are are loosened back up? So, you know, the, the first couple of weeks, it was just kind of a, I don't even know what I'm doing type of thing. Like there was so much going on that I was just like, I think that there was so much adrenaline. Like there was just, there wasn't like any routine. It was just like, like go, go, go mode. But then once I was, you know, a couple weeks in, I think like in, into Utah uh, about, you know, like a third of the way in, I started to feel like, okay, like this is like the daily routine. Wake up 10 minutes earlier every day to so account for all the time zone changes, all these types of things. It's like, it was just, it was such like a, it was so streamlined once I was a couple weeks in mentally and uh, physically, but yeah, it just, it takes a long time
0: to, to get comfortable with. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the human body is amazing like that. One thing you, you actually touched on kind of one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because I've been speaking with some guys who've done some of these bigger efforts, like six day events or like Vol State's another one that is kind of a similar type of uh, structure where the thing they always have been told telling me that's been fairly consistent is that like really your body does kind of adapt. So like the worst time is actually for the six day folks, they always have told me like the second day is the worst. Cause they have like this situation where obviously they did enough the day before to be pretty wrecked, even if they're conservative. Uh, and then they have to get up and do it again. And they're staring down five more days and they have to do that first day where they're running on just really sore, tight, tired legs. And then by like maybe the third or fourth day, they have more or less kind of normalized it to a degree. Uh, it's Did that kind of happen? It sounds like you're kind of saying that it maybe took a little longer for something like what you're doing, but you're two, three weeks in your body more or less started to normalize what you were doing. And, uh, I'm sure it was still incredibly difficult, but, uh, did you feel like your body was almost recovering on the fly or speeding up its recovery process to the point where it became naturalized and you were just like, all right, now it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it took me a little longer to get there than I had hoped um, because I I went out too hard <laughs> the first few days. Um, and I actually I had a day where, you know, I took it. I took a day off on day seven, um, which was not an easy decision. Um, so I think that first week I kind of screwed up. And then on the second week, I was kind of like I was still putting in, you know, 70 miles a day, but I was well, I was actually recovering while doing that from some tendonitis that I, um, developed early on in the first four or five days. Um, so yeah, I could definitely like had that tendonitis not happened I might've settled in a little bit, um, earlier mentally and physically, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Cause it's like, you know, towards the end in Pennsylvania, I remember my feet, like the bones in my feet from all the steps were just destroyed like they just felt right <laughs> and bruised but other than that like physically like you know swollen knee in indiana i didn't care like I, it just like all these things happening like these little injuries just didn't really like concern me at all um so yeah it is it's weird because it's like it's you're physically your body is doing incredible things where you can have a swollen knee one day and it's gone the next and you're um but then, just I think a lot of it's mental too, and just like not, not ha- like having the confidence that, you know, you're not going to have to worry, like just freak out about something that happens because you've, you've kind of seen it all. Um, once you're, you know, a week or two
0: into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems almost as if like it's not a question of whether something is going to like flare up on you, like a, a minor running related injury, but when and then how are you going to able, how are you going to be able to manage that? So it's, 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 I, I kind of think hundred milers have a little bit of that too, where something's going to happen. You didn't expect, and you have to be ready to respond to it. And the people who are the most successful, or at least the most consistent are able to, uh, see those happening as they're happening, make the adjustments, not overthink it and kind of move on and then you know, carry on like really quick decision-making, but, uh, like good decision-making too. And for something like a, a cross-country run, I would imagine it's just like one after the other, one after the other, rather than maybe just feeling like a couple might pop up. Yeah. Yeah. And and the good thing is like, you know, for like a hundred
1: miler, you know, at the, at the very, you know, the people that are winning them, you can't afford to like have more than a bad mile or two. Mm. Um, But then like in the transcon, it's like, you could, I mean, if you want to walk the next 10 miles because you're upset about something or like something went wrong, you can. And so I mean, that's that's the thing that I enjoyed was that you do have a, a lot of uh, flexibility to maybe not screw up like an entire day or two. But like if you want to if something goes wrong, like we our car got totaled, um, it, the the crew car got smashed in in Indiana. And it was funny because I looked back on my Strava and I, I actually only lost 30 minutes because of it. I mean, that's how good my crew was. They they took care of the car wreck. With, <laughs> i be mean, there, but it's like, you know, something like that could happen and you're, you know, you're not really going to lose, um, you're not going to lose your, your, uh, progress. So yeah, I think that's the one good thing about it. I mean, it's just, for me, I, I'm really good about not worrying about, you know, what's way ahead. Like, uh, I'm not worried about having 2000 miles to go. I'm really just kind of in the mile in the moment. So that was why, you know, I think that's why I, things of that format work well for me because, um, you know, I, I can, I have a little bit of flexibility uh, within the day to, to mess something up and, and recover from it and not, you know, to get discouraged by, you know, a bad day or two.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the logistics side of this project is something that I think people may be watching, or at least when I was following yours, I probably took for granted is, there's a lot of things that can go wrong that are independent of you actually moving forward. Like you're essentially, you're hauling an RV or a small house along the way. Uh, and it sounds like you had a chase car or something as well. Uh, does uh, how much planning did you do for that to kind of get ready for that? Like, how did you go? What was the process of like, okay, we need to get an RV that we can have for the entirety of this project. The project could take, I mean, you were probably, I'm just guessing you're estimating between like five and eight weeks potentially, and uh yeah like how did you kind of begin that process yeah you know
1: I was I was really lucky looking back on it because you know I had no idea what I was doing um I mean I like as far as like an RV I I was just like I I remember messaging like friends that I went to high school with that I knew had an RV and just like a piece of junk that like (laughs) hey can I borrow this from you like kind of cause I didn't, I didn't really know if I'd have any sponsorship or anything for it. And so, I mean, I was just kind of going about it just, ve- and, and I didn't do my planning until like a few months out. Um, and I got, but I just got really lucky because I think I socialized it enough with, um, friends that, um, like Charlie Engel, for example, who, you know, ran across the Sahara, mm-hmm. he, hooked me up with a couple guys that have crewed for him a lot and stuff like that. And so like, that was like having that foundation of like someone, it almost felt like Charlie wanted me to go for this record more than I did. Cause like he was so helpful. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, one of the most important people, if not the most important is uh, a lady that I met out at Badwater that year, you know, less than two months before I um, attempted it. Uh, she agreed she, she was actually a massage therapist and i uh, reached out to her for a massage before uh, the race and during the massage she, she i told her about running across the us and by the you know 20 minutes later i had her signed up to uh join for the entire run and and then she ended up doing like four different jobs like she was driving the rv she got us the rv from a friend she cooked amazing meals and she gave me massages and that was just like a chance encounter, um, you know, two months before it started. So, um, I was so lucky because like I, I would, it it probably would have been a disaster had I just gone about it, like on a shoestring budget with, you know, people coming on and off to crew and not having, you know, a, a team that could get in a good routine, um, for the whole duration.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I, it sounds like I may have accidentally started heading in the right direction on that topic. I've got a couple of guys and my wife who are more or less committed for the whole trip. So that'll be kind of like our core crew. And we might have room for, for other people along the way that want to do like shorter stints. Um, but but yeah, it seems like the two big hurdles are one, like your RV. Two is like, like who the heck is going to have a month and a half to two months of time that they can give up. Or, I mean, I guess you could pay someone to crew you as well. Uh, if you have a budget that's big enough for something like that, but, uh, so you, you, you borrowed an RV, how did you manage that logistically? Was it, was that person based in like the Bay area and then you had to take it back or how did you guys get the RV where it needed to be to the end and then back to where it belonged?
1: Yeah. Um, it was, gosh, I think it was in Las Vegas. So yeah, it was, it was, um, Uh, cinder is the lady that that uh that got it for us and it was she actually uh a funny story is she actually owns the rv now but it was a a front of hers uh rv and so yeah we it was it kind of worked out well where um you know it was already not too far from san francisco um and then cinder bless her heart drove it all the way back out west after the uh after the run was complete and she made a little bit of a road trip out of it. So yeah, it was, it was just a lucky, uh, chance encounter.
0: Yeah. It seems like with something like this, there there's so many variables that are there. Some of them, you know, some of them, there's just no way you're going to know ahead of time that uh, you can definitely overthink this and just work yourself up into a frenzy, lose sleep over it and probably just sabotage yourself by, you know, kind of overthinking things. But you also have to have like a few kind of core foundational things in place that you can rely on. It sounds like you're saying like you know, having reliable vehicles, having a consistent, reliable crew that can kind of almost predict what you're going to be like or what you're going to go through as it's happening and responding to our two big ones that you want to make sure are kind of checked off before you, you take on something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and you know, for for crew, it's, it's you have to be able to trust them and they have to be people that you know care like like the two guys um chuck and dean um that were kind of crewing me throughout the day in the chase vehicle like they were former military and they were i mean they would camp out like we we learned early on that we didn't want four of us five of us sleeping in the rv every night like we could have fit us all but like no one's going to sleep if we got five people packed in. So like, they camped pretty much every night outside, and like, so they were very selfless individuals. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I, I've, I've had people crew me at races that had an incredible running resume, but they were too busy like taking selfies and, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about like I'm talking about it's just like. And like those people, like they, they look good on paper, but they're terrible crew people. But then like, there's, there's people like Cinder, Chuck Dean and Tracy that were like, maybe not like really hardcore ultra marathon runners, but they did the job perfectly because you know, their intentions were all, you know, let's get this 29
0: year old dude down the road (laughs) and make sure he 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 stays alive. Uh, perhaps another thing I did on accident was my two crew outside of my wife at the moment are former military guys as well. It just seems like that one makes so much sense in my mind. The first guy I reached out to, I asked about it. He's like, Oh yeah, I've owned an over, I've I've owned a RV that was over 30 feet before I know how to drive it. I've driven tanks. It's like, this isn't going to be a problem. The logistics of taking an RV across the country is nothing like going to another country and then setting up infrastructure and base and everything in an area you've never seen before. And you have to do all the recon on the fly. is like, this is going to be a cakewalk compared to that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, I'm glad you yeah. think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it is, it is funny kind of like the different personalities or different folks that tend to kind of gravitate to being like really good uh, setups for something like that. And uh, I do want to transition just a bit here because at first glance, when I think of your Alaska to keys run is, okay, that's gotta be infinitely more hard because you're literally not even sure where you're probably going to sleep the next night. And it's, you know, I'm guessing it's out on a road somewhere, (laughs) but you can correct me if I'm wrong about that. And to a degree though, you can probably, if you can get in right the headspace, you can almost simplify it because you really don't even have the option to overthink stuff because, the you 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 can only have what you need. You can't start thinking about there's just not an option for luxury at any point. So even considering it is off the table. Whereas something like what what I'm doing with with TransCon, kind of, I could always spend more money to make it a little softer, right? Uh but when you're self-supported, you know, all that stuff is basically off the table, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it it was I'm glad I did it in the order that I did it because there was a lot of things that i've learned about you know doing a self supported run um just by people i've met you know since my first trend, the first transcon that was supported um and then watching them do it um and then and seeing how those people go about it and then just also like the things that i wanted to enjoy about it um like and that was that was a big part of the reason i uh did the, you know alaska to to key or a uh, Kenai, Alaska to key West, Florida was, um, I saw, you know, I, I, I did the Transcon from San Francisco to New York, but I didn't, I mean, it was go, 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 go all the time. And so I was glad I did it, but I also like met all these people that were doing like, I mean, I'm, I've met people that are doing runs around the world where they're like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I can get the time off to do that, but I wish I could, but, uh, they're, Literally like running across every single continent. Um, and they're, you know, they're doing 20 miles a day, you know, nothing a lot of miles, but not like anything crazy where you're running all the time. So that was kind of the, you know, reason I wanted to do Alaska to Florida was um go about it not as not as, you know, fast pack as as is as doing like a, a for a record. Um, but yeah, I mean it was. The, the planning for it was surprisingly simple. Um, it was, I shipped a bunch of gear up to a friend in Alaska um, two months before I started it. Um, you know, I, I found enough. The, the good thing about the Alaska Highway is, you know, you could, you might go hundred or more miles without services, but all the services are are right there on the the road, so you're not like, you know, getting a horse a bunch to go, you know, stay at a motel. So I I actually did. I only had to camp like maybe four or five times, all the way from Alaska to Florida, um, just getting l- lucky and also doing some ridiculously long stretches. And then like so like it was kind of cool because it to me it kind of felt like I'm not a video gamer, but like it was like a video game, like unlocking the stages. And like each day was a stage. Like all right, now we're gonna run you know 80 miles to Watson Lake, uh, Yukon territory. And then tomorrow is a nice easy day, 15 miles because there's like, you know, another motel just down the road. Um, so that was what I, that was like the fun thing there is like, I, I planned it out like a year in advance just with Google maps and like finding places to, to sleep along the way. And then I didn't even, I hardly looked at it at all for like a year, but I printed it out on this laminate and, um, each, each day was planned out already from Alaska to Florida and, Um, surprisingly I I stuck exactly to the plan um, the whole way and it was just like oh yeah I remember planning this a year ago I'm going to stay at this crappy motel and (laughs) (laughs) And, like and it was just like you know you, you put it on paper a year a year in advance and then you know when you actually come like you actually are like meeting people that own these places and they're really nice and like a story there's a story with every place that, that i stayed it was just uh it was just a really cool experience
0: i just uploaded 26 unique training plans to my website they range from 12 week base building plans all the way up to advanced 100 mile training plans if you're looking for a bit more guidance with your training please consider checking out my offerings at ZachBitter.com, That's Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. Once on the site, click the link on the top titled training plans and see if anything fits your needs. I'm also looking to continue to add to this catalog, so do not hesitate to reach out with any suggestions. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Google Maps thing is a, is a lifesaver for this sort of stuff. I think it, one thing, so my, my original attempt was going to be last year, and then I postponed it with all the COVID stuff, which is kind of ironic because I think the end of last year would have probably actually been the best time to do it when once all was said and done and we learned what we learned about everything. But, uh, you know, such is life, I guess. But before that, I had started planning some of the early stage stuff. And I went on your Strava, and I just pulled all the GPX files that you had uploaded off of uh, from your transcon thing and started piecing together a map. And yeah, it's like you can find all sorts of stuff like where are the gas stations, where are the grocery stores, where are the hotels? And you can map those things out on there and have a little bit of a of an itinerary or some options available that, that help out a little bit on, on the day of type of stuff. So with, with Transcon, were you staying in hotels at all along the way or were you just basically now let's just stick to the, to the RV and camping or. Yeah. You know, I stayed uh, for that. I stayed in the RV every single night.
1: So yeah, it worked out well. Um, We got so lucky a few times, like with, like there were a few stretches like Yosemite, um and then maybe a couple other parks where like you're not allowed to just park on the side of the road but we like made it to like a campground one night where we parked the rv and then like i think fort collins we got out of this national park or a park just like right at like 73 miles for the day it was like the the end of this really long stretch where we couldn't park so yeah it was great like we never had to like drive anywhere i just we just parked the RV at a certain spot, 70 to 75 miles for the day. Um, and then I just got in and uh, showered, ate, went to bed, and then did it all over again in the morning. So, um, yeah, it was, it was. we were really lucky.
0: Yeah. Did you ever have situations where there just wasn't a spot to put the RV and you had to go, like, mark your spot, essentially, and then go somewhere else for the night and – stay there or were you just able to always find someone that would let you park it in in like a private area or something like that
1: yeah we were really lucky um we we always had um we always got approval you know i think you know and for most of the stretch um from like nevada all the way me and through pennsylvania um it was just you know like a ranch owner and like, or, or just like an intersection, like a gravel road or something. And, you know, maybe we parked like a quarter mile down, you know, at this intersection with this less busy highway um, type of thing. But yeah, I mean, surprisingly we got really lucky um, with like the people that were willing to let us like just park in their. There, there were a couple of times where they they like, we got woken up in the n- middle of the night and like someone like, I don't know, like, Someone called the police to check us out and see what was going on. <laughs> but I uh, got sorted out pretty quick.
0: Yeah, that I mean you preempted my next question. I was gonna ask if you had any like 2 a.m. knocks on the door from the state trooper saying, Hey guys, uh, I don't know what you're doing here, but you gotta get out. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, there
1: there's a there's a funny story though. Um not uh so Cinder, she crewed for a lady named Sandra uh, Villains who um, got the women's record uh, for uh, speed record a year after I, I did, I did mine in 2017 and Cinder uh, parked the, the same RV that she used for mine. Um, I think they're in Nevada. And it was like some, she, she parked it. She thought it was just like an open lot in the middle of nowhere, but it turned out it was like some top secret um missile location and like i i guess the fbi or something came out and like it was like breaking bad type of oh uh, geez like 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 they they like i don't know if they drew their guns or not but like yeah like cinder was like freaking out because they like surrounded the rv because
0: she wasn't supposed to be there i swear (laughs) this isn't a meth lab (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah Uh, it takes
1: a while to you know explain what you're doing because they're like you're doing what like
0: yeah. out here <laughs> I, I was thinking about that maybe getting like a like a big like three by three like cardboard sign or something that could hang on the side of the RV saying this is a uh, trans america run in progress so please be considerate <laughs> or have yeah. sympathy on us <laughs> at least don't come guns blazing yeah. but yeah i right. mean did you did you ever have i think i remember reading that there, at some points you'd have your crew kind of up ahead, scouting out spots there they anticipated roughly where you'd be staying that night and you know asking folks who owned property if it was okay to park the r v kind of on the side of the property is that am i remembering that right?
1: yeah, usually what we did was like i would do um i would do like forty miles and then meet up with the r v for like a break kind of like a lunch break and then like a fifty k in the afternoon um And during that 50 K I think was kind of when they were scouting out up ahead. Um, We also had a second, like, so we had two, two cars. Um, So there was a lady that was driving a second car. So she had more time probably to go even further ahead early in the day um, to start scouting out um, like the end of day location and stuff like that. And um, my sister too, uh, she, she's kind of always been my like uh, remote route guru. So like she would, like she was always looking at the maps to like see just like where a good like stop stopping point would be like i remember like in, in cedar rapids iowa she found like a like a minor league baseball field parking lot for us mm. to and, and and called them up and like yeah sure you can park you know here so she was really helpful too uh from a remote capacity
0: yeah that's a good thought i've had some ideas around like some remote assistance just from like uh, content capturing type of stuff but like that's actually probably a good idea to have an off-site person who's looking at that sort of stuff and making phone calls and things because i would imagine like yeah you know, and, and like most people are going to be pretty accommodating when they find out what you're doing and be like yeah we'd love to help you out and if it just means you know not not calling the police on you for 12 hours then sure just, thanks for letting us know
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it it was great yeah especially like especially getting into like bigger towns like east of the the miss or uh, east of the missouri mississippi um there yeah like like churches and stuff like that they were just really nice people like they're just like yeah like we loved it and like a lot of times they they love you know i don't know just like coming to hang out and like you know they a lot of times they would like feed us dinner and stuff like that so yeah there's it, it, that was like the coolest thing about about it was there's just like all these nice people you know willing to help out um if, if you let them mm-hmm.
0: yeah you brought up something food that I was curious about in I, I'm, I'm I'm just trying to imagine like the energy requirements of averaging the num- number of miles you did per day did you do any like pre-planning to try to determine I'm going to need to make sure I'm getting in this much and the way I've been kind of thinking about this which I think is just a weird kind of paradigm shifting type of mentality of like, if I was just not moving at all during the day and I decided I was going to cut my, uh, let's say I was just sedentary and burn 2000 calories a day. And I decide I'm going to go down to 1000 calories a day. I'm going to notice that I cut a thousand calories out of my intake. It's going to be very obvious. going to be hungry all the time. I'm going to be losing weight. Uh, but if I'm doing something that's requiring me to, let's say I'm burning 10,000 calories a day, and I managed to eat nine thousand. I'm still gonna lose that weight, but I may not yeah. notice it from just like an appetite side of things. How did you kind of go about just food in general and making sure you got enough so that you could get up the next day and still have the energy to kind of keep going?
1: yeah, you know it's it's tricky because it's like um you know like I'll go on a run with a friend and like I never have enough i i i could eat I could eat ten thousand calories almost any day even if I'm not running uh, <laughs> like. And, and I think it's just, I think it's just from like, I look back on like memories from like when I was like 10 years ago and I didn't really run much, uh, or maybe I was just kind of getting into marathons and ultras. And it's just like, I just remember like that I used to get full, like legitimate full where I just like, Oh, I'm like, I'm stuffed. I can't finish the rest of my food. But I mean, ever since I've been doing, you know, much higher volume, um, training, I think I think I just naturally um I just naturally process calories very quickly. Um and so like I've I've met a lot of people that have done these transcon runs where they're they they you know they lose 10, 20, 30 pounds. And I don't think I lost, I don't I, I think I was probably within five pounds of when I started um both uh transcontinental runs. Um I mean I was pretty much eating hundred calories. I was getting pretty much hundred calories per mile back, um, the whole way on both of them. And yeah, I, I think it's just the training like in, in like, that's one of the biggest things to rapid recovery is like putting in the, the really high volume. Maybe it's not like making me any more fit. You know, once I reach a certain, you know, miles per week, but it's almost like the nutrition aspect is the the part that I'm training, um, ability to just to recover really quickly and get lots of calories. And like my, I was probably like I was probably digesting calories pretty much nonstop for 43 or whatever days. <laughs> like I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I'd eat a couple protein bars just to kind of keep it going because like my mentality was let's just keep like, let's not shut down the kitchen. Like, let's just keep, keep the stomach, you know, processing calories pretty much 24 seven so that, um, I'm getting, I'm optimizing as much recovery as I can and, you know, not shutting it, not shutting it down at all the whole way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, that's really interesting. I think like the two things that I don't know if I should say scare me, but that I'm concerned and trying to account for the most between now and starting is one, the food, and then to sleep, because like, you, you have to get good sleep or good enough sleep for something like this, I would imagine, mm-hmm. like, I think you can probably take some risks when you're within a week or so from the finish, if you want to kind of speed things up a bit. But when you're on the first week, and you know, you're going, you're going to be out there for another five after that, you can't have a lot of nights where you get only a couple hours of sleep and expect for that to end well for you. So were you doing anything to like, make sure you are getting good sleep or have you just been a really good sleeper traditionally? Did you prepare anything ahead of time to kind of be able to have an idea of what it was going to be like to sleep in an RV for that long?
1: Yeah, no, I, I am um, on the RV just to touch on that quickly. I, I did, I did sleep in the RV probably like three or four nights before we started. So that was kind of, that was kind of nice to kind of get used to, you know, that routine of, of like just the bed, the, you know, the, the windows and everything and like optimize it as much as possible before we started. Um, I'm a terrible sleeper. And that's like, that, like I've done two, I've, I've attempted two six day races, which I mean, they're just kind of like, you know, they're just kind of like any other fixed time race where the objective is, you know, to run as many miles as you can, um, in six days, you know, sleep whenever you want. If you want to sleep eight hours a night, you can, if you want to sleep one hour, you can. But like, I, I really struggle to sleep. It takes what I've noticed is it, it's, it's really hard for me. Like I have to like sit and let my blood pressure and heart rate just completely normalize before I can get to sleep. So, um, when I was doing the transcon specifically, I, I would, you know, get done for the day. I would like within five minutes of finishing for the day, I would shower and, and have dinner but I usually made that like, I, I, I didn't like go straight to bed ever, um, from running just because I knew I'm not going to fall asleep for an hour or two anyways. Um, so that was, so, so, so we would do like, we would be strategic and like do planning for the next day. Um, while I was like trying to cool, cool down, um, in the RV. Um, but yeah, the sleep piece, you know, I, I survived a couple of days where, um, I can't remember it was like a mountain lion or something. It was like, like, making noises outside the RV one night <laughs> and we, and, um, in, uh, right by the Utah Colorado uh, border dinosaur, uh, national park. And, um, anyway, like there were a couple days where I was like, I'm so screwed. Like I I'm half asleep. I have to go run in like half an hour. Like I got two hours of probably legitimate sleep. Um, and I actually had okay days then, but yeah, like, you can't really afford, um, you can't really afford to have two bad nights of sleep in a row. Um, so for me, like we had a lady that she had like a, like I, I have that app. It's like, I think it's called the, the Calm app. And sometimes like I'll listen to music and stuff on there today. Um, and so back then, uh, Tracy, one of the ladies on the support team, she had like something kind of like that, that she would put on Bluetooth speakers for me to listen to, to, to get to sleep. Um, so that, that helps. Um, but yeah, I didn't really like, if I had, I like to take this stuff called performance tea, um, that has like a, it's like a CBD tea. Um, and I, I didn't use it, use CBD back then, but I would definitely, um, today, uh, if I was doing something like that.
0: Yeah. There's probably some like sleep hygiene protocols that would maybe be useful with, uh, you know, like some sort of like a tea or like a an herbal type of thing that'll kind of calm you or get or speed up that process between finishing and cooling down and, and feeling tired enough to fall asleep. And, uh, this is probably a good spot for this question because it, I think it maybe fits in with what we've been talking about. And one of my strategies I've been playing around with was rather than saying, okay, I'm going out here to chase X number of miles, or I'm going to make sure I'm trying to stay on Pete's tracks as much as possible is just hold myself accountable to say like a 12 to 14 hour per day window where this is where I have, this is the time I have to move. And it can be a combination of running, walking. Uh, but at that, at that window, at the end of the high end of that window is where I cut it off regardless. It's just so I know I have at least 10 hours between the finish and the start of the next day so that I can have a couple hours to eat, clean up fall asleep and then, you know, hopefully get, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of eight hours if possible. <laughs> maybe that's a pipe dream, but is that, did you have a similar strategy to that? Or were you more just like, Oh, let's just take this one day at a time. If I feel really good this day, I'm going to push a little further and maybe, you know, take a couple hours on the back end of the day and kind of strike. Well, iron's hot. And if tomorrow we suffer a little bit because of it, then it's okay because I banked a little bit of time or what was your strategy like for that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, To to going out, I didn't know what I was doing. I I mean, I was like, I, I, I started on my birthday, so the first day I was like, you know, it'd be cool if I ran three times my age, so it's like, I, I was just being an idiot. And so yeah, like I, and I, I didn't start until 8 a.m. the first day, which you know doesn't sound late, but like my goal was also to move back the clock, so like start at 8 a.m. the first day, start at 7 a.m. the next day, and then 6 a.m. But it, that never. That I was struggling, and I was. Get, I wasn't getting done until, you know, 10, 11 at night on some of those first few days. So, yeah, I mean, that was that about a week in, I realized like, okay, we need we need more structure. Um, after I took that day off, and so that was like that was like the thing like you need to get done by dinner time, and, then, and like I I I began liking you know starting at three or four in the morning. Um, cause mentally getting through like a marathon before the sun comes up was like just really refreshing and rewarding. Um, and, and it, it, it calmed me down too, to realize like, you know, if, if you do have a bad day, you can be out here till you know, after six o'clock, maybe once or twice a week, but, um, that, that never really ended up being the case anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I think like the other kind of side piece to that, that's a little bit of an uncontrollable and part of the reason why I think these type of things are done during the timeline that you did, I think you started in early September is you got to have to make it over the Sierras before winter sets in. You don't want to go through the Midwest during the summer or the heat of the summer anyway, but you got to get to the East coast before winter sets in too. So there is kind of this, like this little bit of a tight timeline where it's optimal. Did you have any weather issues along the way, or did you get pretty lucky on that front? Yeah, I
1: um, I had, I was pretty lucky. I had, I mean, when we were in Pennsylvania, it was probably the worst because it was like flooding and like raining nonstop for several days. But um, we did get snow in Utah, on Fairview pass. Um, But I mean, that was like, it was like it snowed kind of to end the day. And then it was like the first few miles the next day before I got, you know, off down off the pass, you know, there might've been like four or five inches of snow to trudge through, but. Um, yeah, I was pretty lucky. Now, Sandra, who she actually started about the same exact day I did, but a year later, um, she got, she got a ton of snow in Colorado, um, where to the point where we knew the storm was coming. So she decided to go, or I basically from, from Missouri made the decision for her that she had to go up and over, uh, the past right before you get to steamboat Springs or maybe it's after steamboat Springs, but anyways, because the storm, there was a storm coming. So if she waited another day and didn't do it that night, um, she probably would have been stuck crew wise, um, for a day or two. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would say your odds are really good that you won't have anything like that happen. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so weird. Cause like there were days, there was a day even in Iowa, you know, late October where it was, it just felt like it was like 90 degrees. So you just never know uh, mm-hmm. what you're going to get.
0: The, the Midwest weather is always a bit of a coin flip. I think like I always think uh, the Mad City 100K when I was living in Wisconsin, you'd have a year where it was like freezing and then a year where it hits 80 degrees and it just didn't know for sure until you get within like a week or so of the event. So mm-hmm. that's definitely something I've thought about too, is just, you know, what 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 needs two things i guess with that one is weather management uh and second is just terrain variance so like you know you and i are probably at least by the ultra running community considered more flat runners for the most part yeah. timed event type guys so like you know when you have the Transcon, you you're you're doing everything at some point so you're going over the sierras which is going to be a lot different than you know passing through the midwest Uh, you mentioned that you got a little dinged up for some tendinitis in that first week. Do you think that was because of uh, kind of the the elevation variance kind of going over the Sierras or was that more to do with just kind of being a little bit of, you mentioned like being maybe a little too aggressive in the beginning that could have fed into that a bit too?
1: Yeah, it was definitely, um, it was definitely the Yosemite day, um, all the climbing in Yosemite National Park. Um, I think it was like it was something crazy. Like I started the day just outside the park at like 3000 feet. And the end of the day, we were staying at 10,000 feet. Plus, you know, a lot of downs and back up. So like, it was just a crazy day. I don't, I can't remember what the gain was, but I mean, for road, it was just something ridiculous. Um, so yeah, that, that was what caused um, kind of like the front of your ankle. Like uh, I think it's like called like anterior tibial tendonitis, which is pretty common, from, from what like Joe, people like Joe Fidges and others that have done a lot of multi-days told me it's pretty common and multi-day running. But I think it was just really bad for me because I, I hadn't done like, you know, I, I had done some, some Hill where, you know, Hill running in the Midwest, but like, I didn't, I didn't like, I should, what I should have done is I should have got on a treadmill and just like power hyped, mm. you know, at 10% uh, grade. Cause that's what it ended up being Um, was all the like power walking up, up all those inclines in Yosemite that, that did me in
0: eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I was thinking about that too, just like, what are some like maybe strength exercises I could do with like some of the, my, my thought is ankles and feet are going to be like really sensitive areas for something like this. So like bolstering those up or doing some things that can maybe protect them a little more than I normally would going into it. And the treadmill idea is interesting too, because the unique situation I have here for mine is starting in September means any specific training I do for this is going to be in the heat of the summer in Phoenix. So like, I'm just, I'm just not going to go out for 12, 14 hours on a training run in the middle of the summer in Phoenix. And I can obviously leave town if I really need to, if I want to kind of make it a little more comparable to the, to the project itself. But the other thought I had was doing some treadmill work on some of those days to, uh to replicate some of those varied training situations. And that might be the way to do it is if uh uh here here's the question, I guess. One thing I'm playing around with doing is at least one kind of simulation where I do like a three-day stretch where I just try to replicate what a day would be like on the TransCon uh and just do that for three days in a row just to get a, a little bit of a better look at one, what are my energy requirements going to be from a 12 to 14 hour session what is it like to try to get to sleep at the end of that? And uh, yeah, just kind of tease out some of the stuff that you can't really know without doing it. Uh, I, so question one of that is, do you think that's a good strategy and question two is uh, should I use one of those days just to basically do some climbing and descending?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Um, yeah. Cause, cause then, cause cause that's the thing, like you don't really know how it's going to go until either you, you do it and screw up or, or you do something in, in advance. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely do something like that. Like for, for me, I was lucky. Cause I, I, I did some, I mean, I, I did like back to back, like, I think, I don't know if I did like 70 mile back to back to back, but I did like, you know, 60 mile back to back. And then I had done like a, like a week long kind of like FKT type run, a couple of years in advance. So that kind of also gave me some confidence going in. Um, But yeah, yeah, I think that's perfect. Perfect. uh, Mentality.
0: Hey folks, I want to make a quick shout out to some of my personal athlete sponsors and offer all of you some discount options. If you think my gear is also right for you, my shoe of choice ultra footwear is offering listeners 15% off They make a foot-shaped, balanced, cushioned shoe that fits like a glove. S-Fuels is offering 5% off and they are my go-to low-carb workout and lifestyle product of choice. Eggweights is offering 15% off their running form, strength work, and recovery products. Finally, Purpose Performance Wear is offering 10% off my favorite workout apparel, including my own signature series. So head over to zachbitter.com forward slash my gear, or the profile link on my social media channels to check out these discounts and more. All right, folks, now back to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one of the biggest differences I kind of see just in my my general training program and what I kind of see you doing on Strava is, I mean, you're just like, there's high mileage runners, which I would consider myself. And then there's kind of freakishly high mileage runners, where'd I put you into? I, rem- I actually remember uh, a few years, but I think it's probably right before the Transcon, you had started using Strava and it was just like 200 plus mile a week after 200 plus mile a week. So you may actually have a little bit more of a, just a, a lifelong adaptation for the types of rigor that's going to take for a project like Transcon versus my slightly, maybe more periodized schedule where I'm not kind of probably doing as much, well. I'm definitely not doing as much volume as you, uh, but I'm introducing some, what would be considered non-specific race day intensity type workouts a little more often. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And my kind of thought with that is like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to kind of treat the first half of the year, like a normal racing season and go through those periodized paces. Cause I just feel like when I do that, I'm my body's the strongest, but then dip my toe into those waters just enough leading to the transcon so I know what I'm getting into. And so I'm like at least semi adapting to the the physical demands of the exact mechanics and intensity that I'll be, be using on on event or project. I should say project timeline because it's not a day. It's not a week. It's more than a month.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's good because yeah, I, what I've noticed is like if I try like in 2017, I kind of did this where like if I try doing like 200 mile weeks for more than, you know, a couple of months at a time, like it just becomes overkill. And cause it, cause yeah, like it, it, it's sustainable in some ways, but in other ways it's not sustainable to, to train that, that crazy for that long. So yeah, I think doing like a race, you know, a race season and then really getting into the more specific stuff, you know, for a couple of months, to three months is is perfect
0: cool no, that, that works out well with my with my timeline so uh i'm glad it's got the the record holder seal of approval <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, let's see uh i know there, there's uh, essentially an endless number of questions i could ask you about about this particular project i think it would be fun to kind of have you back on as we get closer to the project and uh, run through some of the things that I've done and see what your thoughts are about them. And if there's any feedback and things like that. Uh, but uh, is there anything that what are, I guess, maybe here's a good question. Do you, what were a couple things that kind of popped up along the way that you were like, Oh, if I had known that ahead of time, I would have done this differently.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I mean, for, for me, like later in the run, uh, for the, that trans con from San Francisco, to New York, I, I mean, I, I, I think it was just like trying to get into a routine as quickly as possible, like in every aspect, like in like the time you're waking up, you know, like the time you're getting done each day. Um, uh, also like one thing I did was like, I, I, I mean, it was basically like I was doing like set around 72 plus or minus a couple of miles every single day. So like, um, what I did was like I just tried to find games like numbers games to like not make it not seem as crazy so like 72 is divided you can divide 72 by four it's 18 I, I don't really play golf but like I treated I treated the day as like a round of golf in, in a way like four miles is one hole like four shots so it was like 72 shots you know for the for the whole day and so like you know, like I was, I was always like, all right, I'm on the front nine. You know, I'm gonna get through ten holes before lunch, and then go do eight after lunch, type of thing. So, like, just things like that. Like, I think, like, yeah, it makes it kind of, it, it kind of takes you know something really cool like a transcontinental run and it turns it into like something really nerdy and dumb. Like you're just <laughs> like trying to get through the day. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think, I think it was like just like when I really needed like a boost, like that was kind of what I, I, I fell back on was just like the math and like, just take, just taking stock of like, you know, treating each day. Like it's just, you know, like groundhog day, like same thing over and over again.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that because that's kind of been my mentality with just training and racing in general, the last couple of years now where the, I feel like when I do my best, in terms of executing training programs and then executing a race itself, it's when I'm able to really compartmentalize different things. And one thing that I try not to take for granted that I did earlier in my career is what very simple, almost like comically lame type of like mind games and things will actually motivate you when you're out there doing that. So like, you know, things like, Oh, if I run two more, wa- two more miles, I get that bottle of water. It sounds like how motivated could that be? But when you're out there and you're trying to keep your mind from focusing on the end of a race, when you're too early into it to be thinking about the very end, it distracts you from kind of overwhelming yourself or that anxiety provoking thought of trying to wrap your head around the entirety of the project or the race. And I think that works really well on race day. I think it feeds into training too, where, you know, sometimes I find myself and others, they get excited about an event that's maybe four months down the road. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this to get ready for it. And they're always thinking of that end reward, the race itself. And that kind of nuance and excitement wanes somewhere around like week four or five. So you have to have little wins along the way too, where like, oh yeah, I'm going to just, I'm looking forward to doing this workout on the plan because it's going to tell me this about my fitness or this about where I should, what I should do next. And finding those little motivators or those, it's like an Easter egg hunt almost where finding that, that next little egg Ah, uh, before you get the the full basket, is is always worth kind of keeping in mind when you're playing all the mind games that that occur with something like what you've done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, like one thing I always think of is like I remember I always used to do
1: these like five mile when I lived in Nebraska. We, we'd do these like winter no frills five miles where you run two and a half miles out and two and a half miles back, and they're just like weekend time trials every weekend, and like that that, that's that's one of the things like i i use like like things like that like when i have five miles left you know out of 70 miles like remember that one time you ran you know a five mile time trial you know you were running five minute miles like you were done in like less time than an episode of a show and like so like using like mind games for like when you're you know obviously you're not going to cover five miles after you've already done 60 some at a five minute pace, but just like remembering like, man, five miles is not far at all. Like when you think of it, like in terms of running a much faster pace, like in other types of events. And and so that's another thing that I would use is like, you know, think of it as if like you were hundred percent fresh and thinking about the distance you have left for the day. And like, it's really not that far. Like you you get up to do 20 miles in the morning, a lot of mornings and you got 20 miles left for the day. That's not that far.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You can always kind of rationalize it, especially when you have like the training to go along with it. When you get to those later stages, I think that's always, it's, I always think of that with hundred mile racing too. When I hit the point where I'm within range of my longest long run leading into that, it's like, okay, now I can forget about hundred miles and think about just one more long run. And I think you probably have to be doing that basically nonstop during, during something like, like the transcon. Yeah. <laughs> um, one question I want to ask uh, that I forgot to follow up on when you were talking about before is just kind of the way you structured your fueling. So you you said you you did one thing that you did really well was you maintained for the most part weight and you're able to get in a lot of food. Uh, how did that look logistically during the running portions and walking portions of the day? Were you constantly getting restocked from your crew, or were you doing like? were you doing long stretches by yourself with like a pack and enough stuff to get you to the next checkpoint and then reloading and going, or was it basically someone kind of trailing you and uh, here's another bottle, here's another bar, here's another, this, that, and the other thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, you know, I I started out with like carrying a handheld and, and stuff with me sometimes, but I quickly realized like, I think by like day two or three, like this is stupid. Like there's these two guys literally like tracking me all day let's just like give them uh, or like just just rely on them for basically everything so I yeah pretty quickly I never carried anything and they would basically go like I think we we're doing like a mile and a half two miles at a time um sometimes a little bit more depending on like what the road was like um so yeah like I I I mean they were they were handing me something almost every two miles um to eat or drink So it it worked out well. And I was like, the the only thing I was carrying with me was a stupid um, Garmin inReach, like the live tracking device. So like, it looked like I was carrying like a walkie talkie in my hand the whole time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of a necessity. If you want to have all the data to to have it official, right? You need to have uh, probably multiple, or at least it was at least two GPX files that are showing kind of your route you took. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Like I was, I was, I would do like Strava, but then separately, like if people wanted to come run with me, I did the the live tracking with the in-reach so that um, find, they could yeah. find me pretty
0: easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, did you have a lot of people jumping in along the way? Um, not really the first like
1: half. Um, but then I think once I got to like um once I got to like the Midwest, like, I feel like it was a combination of getting to like places that I'd lived before and then also just like more people finding out about it and then also just, um, being in more populated areas. So like the second half I had someone to run with just about every day, but like, it was pretty lonely the first half of the run. Like it was the only people that came out were like people that were like really hardcore interested in like doing like a full marathon or, or longer distance with me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is That's, that's one thing I've been, been interested in is like, there's probably a balance between certain points where you're like, I just kind of want to struggle by myself versus I could really use a partner right now to kind of change the topic and talk to and get distracted from what you're doing. But I think probably that latter one outweighs the former in most cases, especially once you have a few days under your legs. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky.
1: Cause like, sometimes I didn't want company and like, you know, I'm not going to tell someone to right. like, leave (laughs) like i don't want to be a jerk um but then like it was interesting like once i got like if i was in a bad mood like eventually like just the someone else suffering with me it was like eventually i got to a point where like i would start talking back to them or like you know initiating the conversation so i think in the end it was almost always good uh to have people to run with but like sometimes it took me a little convincing that i i wanted to talk to someone
0: Yeah, I could imagine like the emotions are somewhat unpredictable. And when, when you're putting yourself through that sort of stuff, but a lot of people probably jumping in are fairly aware that that's a possibility that if you're in a rough spot, that they may just be kind of like a, a calming presence versus a, you know, a sounding board for you to be talking to a lot of with a lot of stuff. But um, interesting, I think one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I'm actually just ignorant to whether this is acceptable or not for like, for a documented attempt is polls. Did you use polls? And if not, why? And if so, is that something that's like with the transcontinental community they're like frowned upon or accepting of?
1: Um, you know, I didn't use polls. I think I just didn't really think about it. Um I, but like I mean Marshall Ulrich when he he went for um his attempt in 2008. I feel like I remember seeing him wear using them, so I don't think anyone would have an issue with someone
0: using poles. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, like I thought about it as we were talking about your, your the tendonitis in the front of your ankle. I was wondering if some of those uphill sections, if you could disperse some of that impact off to your upper body, you could maybe alleviate a little bit of that. Or in a, a less than a ideal situation, you have that flare up, having a set of poles to maybe if you want to try to at least move slow that following day or that first day back uh, using something like that just to take a little bit of the pressure off that area. But um, it's probably like anything, if you don't practice with them at all or use them at all, it's maybe not a good idea and you end up with tendonitis in your shoulder instead.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was probably, yeah. Like I, I don't have much upper body strength. So I, (laughs) I was just like, yeah, I'll just let the legs do it. And if, if something bad happens, it happens.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty good balance of just, you know, a body of work behind you where you had the physical and mental capabilities of doing something like this, you had enough of the things accounted for that you weren't going to end up super high and dry somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, But you also were open enough to just like, not overthinking things, letting things kind of happen as they do and respond to them and not letting that be like a a big point of anxiety and stress for you, which I think is, is probably why you're able to do what you do for a big for a big part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I I think, I think it's just, I mean, confidence is such a big thing and and not, and and just knowing your body and not, not, you know, putting yourself in a situation, which I kind of did early on, but then, you know, learning your lesson. And, and I think it it was kind of good that I had that, you know, that, that injury early on, because it, it taught me, like, I never really overextended myself from there on out. And it, you know, I've, I've seen people get cute and like, they, you know, they try to like, you know, cut back on sleep here and there towards the end of something like that. But I mean, I was pretty all the way through, I was pretty consistent and not trying to get ahead of myself, which I think was a good lesson I learned early on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You probably learned it in the right spot. At least you didn't have like a bunch of other things going wrong in the same time that, that could have really derailed things. Um, uh, say, kind of same topic, but slightly different. One thing I'm somewhat concerned about, or I just know I need to have a process for is foot care. Were you doing anything specific to take care of your feet? Cause I'm just thinking like, if you get a blister, like on the ball of your foot or your heel or something like that, like there's things you can do, but it's just one more big kind of hurdle to get over. Did you have blister issues? If so, what did you do to manage it? And if not, what did you do or think you did to kind of keep that from happening?
1: Yeah, I had um, I had one blister. It was kind of a freak one because I usually don't get um, blisters very often. But um, I had one that like was just nagging, that like never went away. Really, it was just kind of we managed it. Um, I think it started because I was too stubborn to take a rock out of my shoe, honestly. <laughs> um, and it like thankfully uh, Dean, he's a he's like an EMT paramedic dude, like, he's got, like, a million different, like, certifications, but, uh, he was one of the two crew guys, and so, like, he was, he loved, like, like, he almost, like, I feel like he almost wanted me to have stuff like that happen so that he could, like, show his, like, skills and everything, so, like, I mean, he, he put, like, this fancy, like, band-aid around it, and, like, every day he was, like, checking on it and stuff like that, um, cleaning it every day and, and things like that to make sure, like, I didn't get, I don't know, like, any weird infections, but, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, didn't really have like a, a, like a normal, like self-care routine. I mean, like, you know, squirrels, nut butter, like I put that pretty much on any yeah. square inch of, of skin. So, um, but other than that, like, you know, it was, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really lucky with, with blisters and that type of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I've used squirrels, nut butter for, for a while too. And that stuff, I'm always surprised at how long that stuff actually stays, like when I first, I, I when I first started using it, my thought was like, oh, this will be great for like, you know, the first couple hours, and then it'll wear off or it'll rub off, and then it won't be effective. Or I'll have to reapply, but I don't think I've ever actually reapplied it during a race because it just never has been an issue to need to. Uh, but I, may, maybe that'd be different with something like the Transcon where you're out there every day like that. Maybe a little bit of different rubbing in certain areas, but that that's always worked well for me. I plan on using it liberally. Uh, I was thinking about also just possibly like pre-taping or pre-bandaging areas that would, I'm kind of like you, I usually don't get blisters. If I do, it's kind of from some odd thing like, oh, the race course environment was a little different than I thought it was. And the pair of shoes I decided to wear wasn't the ones I should have decided to wear. Uh, or I laced them the wrong way for this environment and something like that. And you did some weird blister that's not necessarily unique to your gait specifically. Uh, so I'm trying to be mindful that something like that'll likely occur at some point, but uh, also not trying to overthink it and turn it into a problem that it doesn't have to be either. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking about maybe like some bandages or KT tape on a spot that could potentially give an issue. But then I think it, you probably also have to make sure you're cleaning that area up and taking that off and putting it back on, which is another step. So <laughs> Yeah. It's endless. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause
1: you're, you're, yeah, it's just, you're going to be disgusting every day. And then like, but like, unlike a race, like you're going to want to shower every single day. And like, yeah, I just like, I just tried to, my, my best to eliminate like any, any extra hurdles that I could, um, on a
0: daily basis. Mm-hmm. One last question, Pete, and then I'll let you go. Uh, and, or we can talk about anything else that you want to talk about too. I'd like to hear what you got planned coming up, but, uh, the final one was with the RV. Did you find it challenging? Cause I mean, you're showering in that you've got your crew, I'm guess I'm assuming you're using it as a bathroom too. Uh, was it hard to find areas where you could uh, service the RV from just like a cleaning standpoint and reloading the water and stuff like that? Or was that something that was uh, easier than I'm imagining it to be? Oh gosh, I, I don't know.
1: Like that, that's the thing. Like I Cinder did such a good job uh, figuring all that stuff out. I think, I mean, I have to think like, you know, when you're out, like, some of those remote sections in, like, Utah, Nevada, like, there, they're, I mean, we even were able to stay at, like, we were able to end a day, like, at an RV park, so, um even though it's, like, you know, super desolate out there, like, there are, you know, you, you will come across, you know, a better concentration of, you know, that type of, serv- those type of services, just given the nature that you're out on the road, Um so, yeah, I don't. I don't think so. But she, she might. If she was on the call, she'd probably disagree and be like, "Oh, you don't know how hard it was." <laughs> I,
0: I might have to have you put me in touch in touch with her and have her come on the podcast and and share all the stuff they did behind the scenes while you are out there suffering on the roads.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, she would be a great guest. And and actually, uh, you're are you signed up for jackpot in yeah. a few weeks? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I'll be out there doing the twenty four, and she's supposed to crew for me, so I'll have oh, to. Cool put you in touch with her
0: yeah 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 I'd love to chat love to chat and get get uh get as much learning as I can from from the folks who've, who've done it and seen it from inside and out so uh cool yeah I mean you mentioned jackpot the 24 hour you're doing in was it 24th is or that one's a there's a couple different dates for that one I think the 23rd is the 100 mile USATF road championships and the 24th is the 24 hour and then their typical uh 100 mile event if I'm not mistaken
1: Oh, sorry. Can you repeat that?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, did for for jackpot? Uh, so you're doing the 24 hour there. You doing that one on the 24th? Uh-huh.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Twenty that. Yeah. Saturday the 24th.
0: Nice. Are you? Is that a target race for you, or are you using it as kind of a, a tune up for something um, down the road?
1: You know, I'm I'm signed up for 24 in the dome, and I think that'll be like a bigger goal. Um, this one, I think, just I just want to have like you know something. Kind of like the, I the you know hundred miler I did a week like this last week was just kind of like a stair step, um you know, type of race like, not 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 like any PR type of distance but just uh you know get out there have fun, get some sun,
0: get that tan so I don't get burnt in any of the other races <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a good we have a similar setup I'm thinking i maybe doing I'll probably do 12 hours at the dome again like I did in 2019 but yeah definitely check that one out it's in terms of the timed events I've done it's like I mean timed events and these track events are typically all about as much control as you can get that one takes mm-hmm. it to a whole nother level where it's you know 60 degrees the entire time because it's on that speed skating rink facility and then obviously your lighting is exactly the same from the start to the finish. You don't have to deal with weird weather fluctuations, sun beating down on you that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So it'd be, uh, I think you're probably targeting the right one for peaking if that's, if that's your kind of plan. So, uh, I might see you a couple yeah. times before the midsummer. then. Cool.
1: Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That's what I was telling someone. It's like, you know, for like a, a race where you're, you're running around the clock, like a 24 hour, it's like, you're either going to get, I mean, there's hardly any races where it's like, you're not, you're going to be in some cases over 80 degrees, which is not definitely not optimal or like under 40 degrees, you know, which is not optimal either. So like, yeah, having something where it's consistent the whole way, I think would be incredible. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to to doing that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be fun to, to see. Oh, you're going to do 24 there. You think? I think so. Yeah. That's
1: what I'm signed up for. I, I, I considered the six day, but like, I just six I feel like six days I have to like reserve for like across, like across the years in uh, Phoenix, because it has to be like, where I'm not going to want to race for like a couple of months at least just to, to recover from.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always wondered a little bit, just like when, when you, when you nail a six day, like, the number of miles that could be potentially done on that is, is mind boggling it, it. sounds like maybe the bit it, it's weird. Cause six days, it's like, it's short enough where you can really, really push the needle on sleep deprivation, but it's long enough where if you can move quick enough, when you're out there moving, I could see an argument to sleeping a little more than what maybe, oh, certainly more than what Giannis does. I mean, I think he slept like eight right. hours one time for the entire six day. Versus like yeah. Joe Fijas, who I think he's sleeping closer to like 30 hours over the course of it. Um, maybe I'm off on that by a little bit, but I know he sleeps more than Giannis. So it's kind of a little, a little bit of a chess match in the sense that you got to kind of have a strategy and hope it works or have a strategy and be open to flexing it. If you're racing someone and they're doing something different, that seems to be working better than what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that that, that Pete runs 700 miles in six days or something like that. <laughs> me too, me too, man. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: I will say that that's like the only world record I think I, I would have the capability of doing if I was like right conditions, right fitness. Because um, I, I think that's like Gian- Giannis' one record, um, Giannis Peros, where he, you know, he I think he is the most vulnerable out of like mm-hmm. any of his, you know crazy 24
0: hour plus you know events that he's done yeah yeah he's he set the standard for the time events no doubt and uh yeah the six day is is just an interesting one i think it's uh it'll be interesting to see where that event goes as the sport kind of continues to grow and we see a little more popularity across the board and uh i'll be excited to see see your progression with that one uh for myself i, I just hope to never be in a position where i'm considering a six day event although it's not something I would rule out, I guess. So we'll see. I, you know, at one point in my life, I said, I'd never run an ultra marathon. So, you know, you're always kind of in that point at some time. So uh, awesome, Pete, uh, if there's anything else you want to chat about, we can certainly do that. Otherwise I'd love to uh, share with the listeners, like where they can find you. If you have a website, social media and things like that uh, and they can check out what you're up to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think most people like to follow me on Strava just cause they see these ridiculous miles. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I do, I love, I love Instagram Pete Castell- like on there and I think I'm on Facebook. I do Pete's feet across America is kind of the slogan page I go- I've, 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 I've kind of adapted to. Um, but yeah, I, I'm always, uh, looking for new stuff to do. So, um, I think 2021 will be cool not really sure. Like I'd love to do another transcontinental run, like maybe across Australia or something like that. But, um, but it, it just doesn't, I don't know, like that's got the international hurdle to get over. So I don't know if that would be like this year type of thing or, or next year, but always looking, always, Oh, I, I, I wish I could do half as many of the transcontinental ideas I come up with, but it's just, You only, you only live so long and you only have so many resources to do it
0: all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I know we have a, at least a small contingent of Aussie listeners here. So if you folks hear this hook, Pete up with a corporate Aussie place, that will just plan the thing for them and bring them out there and let them run across the country. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's cool. So you, you're more in line with kind of checking out new areas with that stuff, or do you think you'd ever take another, take another swing at, at, uh, trans America and see if you can better your your record yeah I, you know I don't know
1: um you know I I think yeah I, I think I could I, I could have done a little bit better um but yeah it's it's tricky though because it's just you know you only get so many at bats um with stuff like that so um who knows
0: yeah <laughs> it's like do you want to spend it on a, a with the opportunity to potentially improve your previous mark or do you want to spend that time going across a different country or a different Mm -hmm. project altogether. And yeah, like you said, I mean, I feel like when, uh, when I first got into ultra marathons in 2010, it was like right as the sport was kind of starting to uptick and every year since it's like the list of things you want to do grows at a faster rate than things you check off the list from the year before. (laughs) So it becomes less and less desirable to repeat events, but uh, yeah, that may just be our reality reality at, at, at this point in time. So it's, it's a good problem to have. So, uh, I'm not complaining, but it is an interesting kind of time to be an ultra marathoner. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there.
1: it's endless, uh, possibilities. Um, especially, yeah. Especially once you get into them, like, you know, you get hooked on, you know, doing a race every year or things like that. And then you just feel like everything just fills up and like, just naturally fills up. Like, I feel like I've, I'm always like trying to take stuff off my plate that I have planned rather than, than add it. Just cause I, I think I overdo it sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, most people would definitely think you overdo it, Pete, but <laughs> it's good to hear it from you. Uh, well, yeah. Thanks a bunch for taking some time, Pete. I'd love to have you back on down the road and uh, and kind of share stories and chat about stuff like this. Uh, but thanks for, thanks for taking some time out of your day and I'll make sure to link in the show notes for folks who want to, Check out what Pete's up to, whether it be on Strava, on Pete's feed on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, I'll put those links in the show notes, but thanks again.
1: Cool. Thanks for having me, Zach. Yeah, I'd love to be back anytime and talk, having more discussions.
0: All righty, take care. All
1: right.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out my website at zachbitter.com or my social media channels at zachbitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send me an email at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.